Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's jump into it. We we are living kind of in a episode of Black Mirror. And because of that, it seems like we're not going to get season six anytime soon. Chris, tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So Charlie Brooker gave an interview. He's the guy who created Black Mirror. He, you know, he's he's oversees it all. And he he said, you know, um, quote, at the moment, I don't know what stomach there would be for stories about societies falling apart. Uh, so as a as a you know result of uh, everything that's happening right now, he's not working on any new black mirror episodes uh that doesn't mean there won't be a season six eventually but for now he uh has no interest in, in writing the episodes and you know he, he seems to think that you know audiences at this time aren't really in the mood for for what black mirror has to offer since we don't need the show we can just look at everything that is happening right now <laughs> I'm really curious because of this pandemic. I'm sure that there's a lot of screenwriters and writers out there being inspired, I guess might be the wrong word, but by, you know, the current events and be writing movies and TV shows set in the events that we're going through right now, or maybe even like just inspired by like things that are happening and maybe not writing a pandemic movie or a coronavirus movie, but writing things that, uh, you know, there's certain ideas you can get when faced sure. with today's to society. I'm wondering, what do you guys think? Like after, let's say this thing cools down a year from now, which is a big F, but let's say it is like, you know, things have returned back to, you know, relative, you know, a new nor- quote unquote normal are people going to want to watch content inspired by this pandemic? Uh, my, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is no, but y- you never know. Like, after, uh, you know, after 9-11, I wouldn't think anyone would want to watch 9-11-inspired entertainment. But, 
you know, aside from the actual movies about 9-11, you know, we have films like, you know, Spielberg's War of the Worlds or the first Cloverfield, which are very much movies that reflect, you know, are reacting yeah. to what happened on 9-11. So uh, maybe if, if, you know, they're being handled by filmmakers and storytellers who know what they're doing and they know how to <laughs> dress it up a bit, maybe at the, at the same time, it's, uh, you know, I'm sick of this now. Like I can't imagine <laughs> wanting to revisit it a year from now. So I, I don't know. It, it, with you mentioning 9-11, it, it, there was that movie, I forget which movie it was, where it had like this big twist in it that it, it took place in 9-11. Oh, what? it was uh, Remember Me, I think, with Robert Pattinson. Yeah, do you think any movies are going to pull that on us? Like we're watching what? the movie and then <laughs> At like... At the very end, we find out it was coronavirus? I yeah, don't... I don't know. I hope so. I want to see that movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've been talking a lot about you know, when things are going to reopen all the Disney parks, the theme parks worldwide are closed right now, but it looks like Shanghai Disneyland resort is going to be reopening this month. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. Not only this month, but this Monday, May 11th, 2020, uh, making Shanghai Disneyland, the first Disney park to reopen in the face of this pandemic. So, uh, Disney held a, um, earnings call yesterday and new CEO Bob Chapik made the announcement that uh, Shanghai Disneyland is going to be reopening. Um, it's not going to be sort of business as usual when the gates do open, though. They're going to be um, putting a bunch of different restrictions and, and um, policies in place. Uh, as you might expect, they're going to have a phased reopening. So they're going to have limited attendance. The use of masks for both guests and cast members is going to be required. The only people who will not be wearing masks in the parks are the face characters who will be standing at a distance from everyone else. They're, he talked about uh, potentially implementing uh, temperature screenings, contact screenings, early detection systems for anybody who's potentially infected, things like that. Um, and they're also, uh, he specifically mentioned advanced reservations, which is something that Six Flags uh, instituted yesterday as well. And I wrote a whole article about that, talking about how the advanced reservations thing, which basically means that you can't just like show up to a theme park on, on a whim anymore and just like stand in line and get in, seems like it's going to oh. be the new normal for theme parks going forward. Yeah, we should mention that like usually when you buy a theme park ticket, you have the chance to show up at the park like within like a month period or something like that so that, right. that so, you, so instead you're gonna have to book for that exact day so yeah, that they exactly. know how many people are gonna be allowed to go into the park this is kind of crazy <laughs> i didn't think any of the disney parks were gonna reopen this early i will say that shanghai disneyland is one of the disney theme parks that is not entirely owned by disneyland i think actually the majority of it is owned uh by china or some Chinese-based company, uh, so that they might not be in complete control over that decision. <laughs> but, hmm. um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, it does seem like Shanghai does have things a lot more out of, uh, under control than we do here domestically. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, how this works and how, how how do you like sanitize a theme park ride between guests and how do you. You know, I know social distancing rules are going to be in effect, but like when you're on Big Thunder Mountain and you're in a roller coaster, sure, like you could have every other car be empty, but then like the droplets from your mouth, I guess they have masks on, right? Yeah, but, everybody yeah. is supposed to be wearing masks. 
So I guess that 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 fixes it. But then, do you not eat at the restaurants? Do you have to, are you allowed to take off your mask? I mean, you you would have to, right? <laughs> I guess maybe they're gonna have like a a bigger uh, like a a um, an extended social distancing area where the food is like an like a designated eating area where everybody has to stand like twenty feet apart to eat or something. I'm completely making that up, but I would not be surprised if something like that happened because um, they probably don't want people just wandering around lifting their mask up and, you know, chomping down on a churro or whatever the <laughs> hell. So. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Snacks that you walk around with, like churros and corn dogs. How does that work? They probably are going to have to shut those down for the time being. But again, that's just a guess on my part. Wow. Okay. On this podcast, we've been talking a lot about Quibi. Chris, how how is Quibi doing? Uh, not great. Um, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal had had a big report on it yesterday, uh, delving into you know all the behind the scenes concerns, and you know it boils down to uh, the company is quote anticipating some 550 million in operating losses in 2020, with programming and advertising costs outstripping revenue according to the projections, and uh, you know. The, the story has quotes from Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is the, the founder of Quibi, talking about, you know, no one could have predicted they were they were launching their their on the go streaming service at a time when no one is on the go. Um, but it's also worth noting Jeffrey Katzenberg is obscenely wealthy. Uh, Quibi is also raising money on the side with, with fundraising. So, you know, even though things aren't working out great for them right now, they're not. They're not folding up shop yet. They're still trying to ride it out. And and their their hope is that uh, when and if things get back to normal and people are on the go again, then people will start using Quibi the way it was intended, you know, watching it on your commute to work or on your lunch break or whenever the mood strikes you. I'm not sure that's going to happen, Chris. No, me neither. But we can all dream. You know, for years now, I think James Cameron has been talking about this. Tom Cruise has been talking about this, this the prospect of shooting a movie in space. And it looks like that's finally going to happen. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so a, a story came out. This is, I guess, a movie is in the very, very early stages of development that will take Tom Cruise literally to outer space to film the world's first I guess it's not even the world's the first action slash adventure movie, like narrative feature that is going to be shot in space. Uh, Cruz is evidently teaming up with Elon Musk's SpaceX company and NASA and uh, a NASA administrator just shared on Twitter yesterday after the story was sort of making the rounds that uh, the film is going to be shot aboard the International Space Station. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Tom Cruise and James Cameron actually talked together about uh, uh, collaborating on shooting a movie in space. This was probably about 20 years ago and that never happened, but Tom Cruise was, you know, uh, was ready to, to go and, and uh, <laughs> willing to do the work and get trained as an engineer and all that stuff back then. And in the, the two decades that have come after that, um, he has just, you know, doubled down on doing insane stunts all by himself and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. So uh, this is like really, um, kind of like an I mean it's a ridiculous thing to say but I almost expected this to happen as like the logical endpoint of Tom Cruise's career so uh best of luck we don't know anything about a screenwriter a story a director any of that stuff 
Um, I'm just really curious if Tom Cruise is going to trust anybody other than Christopher McQuarrie, who's the guy who's, who's making all the Mission Impossible movies lately. Um, anybody other than McQuarrie to lead him to these sort of unprecedented heights because Cruise and McQuarrie have had this long, long standing working relationship. And I, I just I really can't see. Cruz putting his life in the hands of any other filmmaker at this time, but uh, what do you guys think about this? I'm just curious about the logistics of doing a production like this. So you're sending Tom Cruise to space, but you're not just sending Tom Cruise. I'm assuming you have to send other people. So does the director go to space? Do I mean? I'm guessing you have a cameraman. You're not going to just like have random astronauts shooting this thing, right? So at what point? How many people does this production require? Because what what happens if the the film camera breaks? Like, so do you have like multiple film camera? Does the cameraman know how like have to learn how to fix the camera in that situation because he's going to be so far away from Earth? Like, how? I don't know if you've ever seen this movie called Armageddon, Peter. But uh, you know, if oil riggers can figure out how to go to space, then I think cameramen can. Chris, what do you think of this whole prospect? Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be very dangerous and the insurance uh, costs are going to be uh, out of this world. Out of this, I was trying to find something that wasn't, that wasn't funny, but all right. Yes, but <laughs> I, you know, I will absolutely watch Tom Cruise in space and uh, because, you know, how can, how can you say no to that? It's, it's totally unnecessary, very dangerous. And that's, that's what Tom Cruise does best. At that point, like, I know we have stunt men risking their lives, but at that point, like, should we say no? Like, I, I, I know Tom Cruise is already doing insane things. He's hanging off buildings, hanging up, you know, planes and stuff like that. But like, at what point are you risk, like risking your life, not only your life, but others' lives? I don't know. I, I, I guess percentage-wise, probably those people that have gone to space, like it's, it's probably a low percentage that have died, right? Uh, I, I don't have those numbers in front of me, Peter. I'm not sure. But I, I, I guess just to really quickly like uh, tack onto this conversation a little bit more, it, it's unclear whether the entire movie is going to be shot in space, too. Yeah. And if it's an action-adventure movie... Um, you know, Tom Cruise is not going to be doing like real life gravity out there, like, you know, doing going untethered from a spaceship and stuff. And if the whole thing is going to be set inside the space station and it's an action adventure project, some things are going to have to happen, which leads me to believe that maybe only part of this movie will be shot in space and the rest of it will be like enhanced with CG or, or whatever. Like, I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like one scene, kind of like how they did the, uh, the halo jump in the the most recent mission impossible. Like it'll be like one at the same time though. I, I absolutely do expect Tom Cruise to like be actually out in space. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, Oh, he's inside a spaceship. Like you can do that anywhere. Like he's, he has to literally be in space. It's the same thing with the halo jump. We had to see him literally, jumping through the sky otherwise it doesn't seem dangerous so yeah i I think you're right i think he'll be out there but i I feel like he'll be tethered or something and maybe they'll cg it out like i I just can't imagine him going full sandra bullock like spinning head over heels like away into and just like hoping that whatever safety precautions they take end up you know uh preventing his drifting into the void forever but um yeah i guess we'll have to wait for more details on this one I just feel like if you're going to make a drama with, like, Tom Cruise as an astronaut, 
is there any point to filming it in space on the space station? I feel like you could accomplish that with the, like the vomit comet or yeah, because it's another... cool, Peter. Yeah, it's just for the news, you know. It's like nobody would talk about it. Well, I, I guess he did it. The vomit comet thing. I think that was a he, he shot um, a scene from the Mummy. Mummy, using yeah, that right. And they made like a whole featurette about it. But like, imagine the featurette that's going to happen when <laughs> when they actually go to space. I think that's like it's the publicity more than anything else that will uh, that is maybe driving this decision fair enough okay let's talk about disney plus they have announced a new marvel tv show it's going to be starring nick fury but it's animated chris tell us about it uh yes it's called the fury files and uh oddly enough even though samuel jackson is the you know the guy we all associate with nick fury at this point he's not doing the voice work for this which seems weird because he seems like a guy who would do something like this but he's not um instead uh the show is going to give viewers top secret access to shield intel on key marvel heroes and villains so you know it's an animated show where nick fury reads a wikipedia basically for heroes of villains in the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> that is so weird that samuel jackson's not involved here because i know marvel studios is doing that what if tv show and that has samuel jackson reprising his role so i'm guessing they are just they don't want to pay him i don't know maybe yeah maybe he was asking for lots and lots of money which you know that's fair he's he's earned that money but i guess not they don't want to give it to him it seems like they're using uh motion comics and also footage from like the marvel animated movies that exist like those direct-to-dvd things to sort of fill this out and those have not traditionally use the same voice actors ah. as the, the live action ones so maybe they're trying to draw some sort of line in the sand between i don't know like a quote-unquote marvel studios project and then just like a marvel entertainment project but it's all on disney plus I, i'm not really sure now that you're saying that this sounds to me and i could be completely wrong but this sounds to me something that's been kind of thrown together in the circumstances of this pandemic that we find ourselves in oh. because it could be yeah. created completely remotely with you know, found stuff <laughs> and an editor and a you know voiceover guy and w- whatever. Uh, but you know, I don't know that. But that's that's what it sounds like to me. I know Disney Plus certainly needs the content because there isn't much on the service. I do want to give a shout out. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have watched it yet. I've talked about it with Brad on the Water Cooler. The show called Prop Culture. It is now on Disney Plus. And everybody in my Twitter feed is watching this and loving it. I I highly recommend now that it's out, you know, if you have Disney Plus, go check this out. It, it's, you know, very easy to binge. And there's some really surprising and entertaining and sometimes emotional moments. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. Another show coming to Disney Plus later this year, we think. Actually, I, I think the filmmakers have said that they are on track uh, doing the post-production in uh, while self-distancing from home. Uh, the Mandalorian season two. We, we have now found out one of the directors of the second season. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, Peyton Reed, who directed Ant-Man and Bring It On and Ant-Man and the Wasp, is going to be one of the directors of The Mandalorian Season 2. He's actually the third Marvel Studios uh, veteran to step behind the camera that we know of so far. Uh, I don't think they've made a full announcement of all of the directors of The Mandalorian Season 2 yet, but we know that um, 
I, I guess, you know, in in the totality of the show so far, Taika Waititi directed the season one finale. Uh, John Favreau, who's the showrunner and sort of the mastermind behind the whole series, is directing an episode in season two, and now Peyton Reed. So um, there's three Marvel people in this universe. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> we talked a little bit about this with Taika Waititi. I, I personally can't really tell, like, uh, I feel like The Mandalorian is not necessarily a show where any one director's uh, style or touch is like uh, overtly noticeable <laughs> in the show. But uh, again, I know that I, t- I totally feel differently minority. there because yeah. like you look at like Rick Fumiyama's like episode where it's like set in this like space prison and it totally feels like his it feels written by him and it feels like his style. I don't know, but. I just like if I did not know that he was involved, there's no way on earth I would be able to tell you that he was the filmmaker who who directed that episode. And I feel like the mm-hmm. same goes for just about everybody who's been behind the camera before, even Taika, like, you know, who, whose movies I love. If I didn't know that he directed that episode, I feel like his name would probably be like the 15th choice that I had if I was just running down a list of uh-huh. who I thought could do it. But um, well, yeah, well, I also I think about... that like he's not like a name brand out there either. So it's not like I, I would guess that either. But I, I can definitely tell differences. It, it doesn't feel like the same director is directing all these episodes. It definitely yeah. feels like there's some differences. I know when this was announced, uh, I retweeted Matt Goldberg from Collider, who did this tweet. Uh, Weird how two Marvel guys, Watiti and Reed, just got hired for Star Wars gigs, and Kevin Feige is now a producer on a Star Wars movie. Uh, The latest press release contained no quotes from Kathleen Kennedy. Anyway, off to bed. Now, I I got a lot of response for this because a lot of people took this as, uh, you know, Oh, is this a conspiracy theory? Is Kathleen Kennedy on the outs? Is Kevin Feige taking over a Lucasfilm? I didn't retweet it because of that. I retweeted it just because of the framing here. This is, I think this is interesting. It, it's kind of showing us the direction, uh, minus, you know, Kathleen Kennedy being not quoted in this press release, which I, I, I think they just didn't have time to get her to say something. But uh, I think this is kind of showing us a, the direction that Star Wars is heading in. Like, it feels like they're doing a little bit of course correcting, and part of that course correction is, like, let's try to emulate Marvel more. Am, am I wrong? Uh, I mean, it's it's a tactic that has been, uh, tr- I guess, that Hollywood has been trying to replicate for, what, a decade plus at this point? So I, I would not be surprised if uh, a... I guess a franchise like Star Wars that is on a little bit of shaky territory right now because it doesn't really have like a defined uh, uh, path <laughs> forward would also be adopting that theory. Yeah, there are that that tactic. It does not. Uh, it would not surprise me if that was like conversations they were having internally. Yeah. What What do you think of director Peyton Reed uh, for Star Wars TV episode? Um, I like Peyton Reed. I I feel like he has a you know, he has a, a strong affinity for comedy and, and uh, maybe he'll end up directing the funniest episode of the show yet. But <laughs> The Mandalorian, to me, is not really a funny show. Like Pedro Pascal has a, a really his, his character is ultra serious and dry there is a yeah, there is a little bit of humor throughout the show. But um, I, I don't know. He, he strikes me as sort of an odd choice for this. I, I guess I don't want to badmouth Peyton Reed because I, I don't think that he's a, a bad filmmaker by any means but he just sort of strikes me as like one of those guys that they know is dependable that can come in and get the job done um but I, i'm not sure 
<laughs> like I said before, I'm not sure in in a show like that this that there's a lot of room for individual directors to put their stamps on on episodes. But um, I don't know. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. I, maybe he wrote the episode. We don't we don't even know that. We we do know that he's a huge Star Wars fan. Not that anybody isn't. But uh, didn't he like once write a sequel to Star Wars as a kid or something? <laughs> yeah. Was that him? yeah, he wrote a he wrote a sequel script to the original movie before The Empire Strikes Back came out. Um, and he he tweeted it. I think it was last year on Star Wars Day. Uh, we've linked to that in the article on Slash Film. So if you want to go back and, and read his whole script that he wrote as a kid, uh, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be a good star, like a big Star Wars fan to make a good Star Wars movie. But I always appreciate it when when you have someone that like. <laughs> wrote a Star Wars sequel <laughs> script as a kid. That, that 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 is kind of heartwarming. Okay, let's talk about some Netflix sequels that uh, pre- probably people aren't clamoring for. But uh, let's first start out with the sequel to the movie Bright. Uh, Chris, is it still happening? It is still happening, and it has a new director. Um, David Ayer directed the first one, and he was announced as directing the second one but apparently he's busy working on uh the dirty dozen so uh lewis Lettier, i'm sure i'm saying that wrong but the guy who directed now you see me and the incredible hulk is now directing the movie and uh, that's really all we know you know will smith and joel edgerton are going to be back it's going to be you know set in that same world where fantasy and reality collide and and so on um also not back is max landis for obvious reasons he wrote the first movie uh, but since then, he's um, taken <laughs> several hits due to his uh, due to accusations against him. And hopefully he's he's not going to be coming back anytime soon. So uh, new writer, new director, same old bright. <laughs> Does Max Landis get money from this? I guess he created the characters, so he might get like a uh, characters created by or something. Uh, yeah, he probably has some sort of some kind of deal. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this director? I, I am a hundred percent neutral on him. I don't, I have like zero opinion on him as a filmmaker. He's not like someone who particularly comes to mind when I think of filmmakers. So, but you know, that seems appropriate for bright too. It doesn't really need like an auteur at the helm. Well, I know when bright first came onto Netflix, Netflix was like, you know, bragging how it was like the most watched original movie or original thing that had hit their streaming service and stuff like that. And recently I've heard them say that about another movie extraction. Not, I mean, I only know two people that have seen this movie. I think it's uh, what Ben, you saw it and Chris, you saw it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, but uh, Netflix is bragging that more people have seen this than like almost any other thing or whatever. Uh, So of course, they're working on a sequel. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, Joe Russo, who is one of the uh, producers and directors of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, he's a big Marvel guy, uh, wrote the screenplay for the first Extraction movie, which stars Chris Hemsworth and is directed by Sam Hargrave, who is a, a longtime uh, action stunt coordinator guy on uh, for Marvel as well. Uh, so it was sort of like a reunion of sorts. And now Joe Russo is saying that he has been hired by Netflix to write a script for Extraction 2, which... Uh, he teases could be either a sequel or a prequel. Um, He said, we're not committing yet to whether that story goes forward or backward in time. We left a big loose ending that leaves question marks for the audience. 
So um, this is evidently in the, the formative stages of development. So they're still not, uh, I, I mean, maybe he has, is already halfway through writing it or something and just isn't ready to publicly say whether it's a, a prequel or a sequel. But um, I want to spoil the ending for Extraction here because I, I want uh, to hear what Chris has to say about this. Um, so if you have not seen Extraction, maybe just skip to the, yeah, well, maybe well, no, you, end the episode now. Yeah, but... <laughs> you you can just tune out now if you because it's the last story. So I haven't okay, seen so it, I'm... but I don't care. So have at me. Okay, so real quick, five second warning for anybody who's maybe scrambling to get to their device. I am about to spoil the ending of Extraction. So uh, the, actually, the film opens with this cold open of uh, Chris Hemsworth character uh, Tyler Rake, this um, mercenary for hire. He's in this this bloody fight on a bridge and then the whole movie takes place and then he ends up on this bridge and he gets shot through the neck and then falls off the bridge into the water and seemingly dies. He looked pretty dead to me. But then the last shot of the movie is the kid that he was trying to protect throughout the whole story uh, surfacing in a pool and then a figure is standing there in the distance and the kid sort of like turns his head and looks at this figure who is really blurry and he can't tell who it is. And then the movie ends. So uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but when I first saw this, I was like, wait a second. Are they implying that that is Hemsworth's character? And I actually went back and rewatched what I thought was his death scene because I was like, was was it ambiguous that this character was alive? And it, it looks pretty... I mean, it looks pretty serious that he is dead. Like he he is shot multiple times, and then that bullet through the neck is. Um, I mean, he is gushing blood. He is motionless when he falls off the bridge. He like just sinks into the water, uh, and then that ending happens. So, do you think that this could be like conceivably be a sequel? What did you make of the ending when you saw it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. I assumed he was dead. It, it just it looked very much like a death scene to me. Not to mention, like after he falls in the water, there's like a character who goes to like the edge of the bridge and looks down the water, and like it, it holds for a very long time, implying like. And I'm pretty sure there's even like a shot of his like lifeless body in the water, like under the water. So I assumed that if they're they're making a, a follow up, it's going to be like a prequel, but. I, I I don't know. Uh, I also don't care because this movie is awful, <laughs> and it just, <laughs> and I I don't understand why it needs a sequel or a prequel. Like, yeah, I get it. People watched it, but it's it's bad. It's just like a shitty movie. There's there's nothing even like remotely cool about it in my mind. Even that like well, one take shot that everyone's talking about is like okay. Uh, it's so it's so like boring and overdone at this point like all right we just had a whole movie in, in one take it's not impressive anymore yeah i i mean i enjoyed the action beats a little bit more than you did i think uh, sam hargrave said in a in a separate interview that he was interested in doing an extraction prequel where hemsworth uh teams up with david harbour who shows up in a, a small role in the first movie would you be interested in a whole movie of those two characters hanging out and doing missions together Maybe if it, you know, it needs like a better script for one thing, like make me care about these characters. Cause as much as I like Chris Hemsworth and David Harbour, like they had nothing to do in that movie. Like David Harbour tried really hard to make his character something, but he's only in the movie for like five minutes. And he, yeah. you know, so it, it's, it needs like a, a, a genuinely good script for me to, 
be interested in these characters coming back and having adventures. Yeah, same. I mean, couldn't it be new adventures? Couldn't it be? I mean, I guess I don't see the point. I guess just he's just Frankenstein together with like bolts in his neck and. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's if he's like a zombie Tyler Rake who's, who rises from the grave like like Jason Voorhees or something. Uh, then, uh, maybe that would get you interested, huh, Chris? <laughs> they should just not, just bring him back and not uh, acknowledge it at all. And then he should die at the end of the sequel. And then they make a third one and they do the same thing. But they never explain why Tyler Rake keeps coming back and going on missions. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's <laughs> Slash Peter's Home Daily. not having any of our <laughs> No, he's done. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I should watch this or not, because, like, what, what Ben says about the action in that one shot has me compelled to check this out. But, Chris, you're, like, so down on this. Like, it's just bad. Like, I would if you want action, go watch a good action movie. There are so many. But like, I've, I've seen the good action movies. Yeah, but you, you're better off re-watching them than watching this. I think that's probably true. Just watch that one take, Peter, and that's really all you need to see. The rest of the of the movie around it is not uh, it's not worth your time. Okay. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash And rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Friday. <laughs>